The text for the sermon this afternoon is John 20, the verses 1 to 10. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. There ends our text. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, when I was a child, some of my favorite books were about a boy named Encyclopedia Brown. Uh, Some of the titles included Encyclopedia Brown Finds the Clues, Encyclopedia Brown Takes the Case, or Encyclopedia Brown Super Sleuth. Maybe some of the students at ICS have read some of those books themselves. Now, Encyclopedia was not his real name, but everyone called him that because he was so smart, and his intelligence made him a great detective. Every book was a series of short stories with mysteries that needed solving. And at the end of every short story, Encyclopedia Brown declared that he had solved the case. However, the author did not immediately tell you the answer. He always first asks the reader how Encyclopedia Brown could have solved the case, giving readers a chance to figure things out on their own. Now, our text this morning focuses on the scene of Christ's empty tomb. But the author doesn't immediately tell us what happened. Instead, he gives us a number of intriguing clues to look at. And the characters in this scene, and we as readers, are left trying to figure out what happened here with this empty tomb. We are drawn into the story from the disciples' perspective to make a conclusion on our own. And each part of the scene takes us further into the tomb and further into the evidence. There's the rolled-away stone, there's the strips of linen lying on the ground, and there's a face, face cloth lying in its place. And so we are, as it were, invited, uh, like in something like Encyclopedia Brown or perhaps Sherlock Holmes, to look closely at the evidence, to inspect it, and then to ask ourselves, what is the only possible conclusion we can make about what happened here, given this evidence in front of our eyes? And that is what we're going to explore 
this afternoon. So I preach you God's word under the following theme. Christ left the sign of the empty tomb to give us fullness of faith. And we're first of all going to look at the sign of the empty tomb, and secondly, the fullness of faith. Now our text begins with these words. Early on the first day of the week, which is Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Now Mary and all of Jesus' followers were completely devastated. They had followed Christ for such a long time, they loved him dearly. He taught with such authority, he performed wonderful miracles, he even cast out demons. But all their hopes for Christ came crashing down in a moment. Just one week before uh, they had welcomed Christ into, into Jerusalem as a triumphal king, a few days later he was nailed to a cross like a criminal, bleeding in agony until he finally breathed his last. And now he lay in the tomb, quiet and lifeless. And everything Jesus did in his life, from their perspective, now seemed kind of pointless. They thought it was gone forever, over for good. Now, Jesus' disciples had not even the slightest clue that Christ might rise from the dead. They should have, Jesus told them. But they still did not understand. The words at the end of our text hang like an umbrella over the entire passage. They did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. And that included Mary. And so Mary on the Sunday morning came to the tomb without faith. And that's why when Mary comes to the tomb and sees a stone rolled away, From the entrance to the tomb, it throws her into hysteria. In her mind, only one thing could have happened some kind of grave robbery. Now, grave robbery was actually fairly common in that time. Perhaps some thieves would want to steal something valuable that was left on the body, such as a piece of jewelry or or something like that. And in her mind, something like this has happened. Now, it was terrible enough that Christ's enemies had crucified him, but at least they were able to give him a proper burial. But now they were denied this too. So this was an awful turn of events for for Mary and the rest of them. This sent Mary running back to the disciples so that she could report this terrible news. They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. Now, upon hearing this news... Peter and John rushed to the tomb as fast as they could. And this shows they were just as much in the dark as Mary Magdalene was. You know, when Mary gave them this message, they've taken away the Lord from the tomb. We don't know where they put him. You know, they didn't say to her, you know what, relax, Mary. It's okay. Everything is going just according to plan. Nobody stole him. Scripture always told us he would rise from the dead. Even if someone did take him, Jesus is going to rise from the dead anyway, so don't get all upset. Well, that's not what they did. They also did not understand from Scripture that Christ must rise from the dead. And so at Mary's report, they rushed to the tomb to see this for themselves. And this shows us that something fundamental 
was missing from their thinking. Something fundamental that did not allow them to understand the scriptures properly and that did not allow them to understand Christ properly or his work and why he came and why he did all the things he did. They did not understand. Now, on their way, the disciple whom Jesus loved outran Peter. When he got there, he peered into the opening of the tomb, which was cut out of the rock. As he bent over and looked in, what did he see? He saw the strips of linen lying there on the ground. These were the strips of linen Joseph and Nicodemus used to preserve Christ's dead body. Only a few days ago, they wound them around the lifeless body of Jesus, but now here they lay on the floor of the tomb. They were no longer clinging to Christ's lifeless body, but they themselves lay lifeless on the ground. Now at this point, we too are invited to inspect the scene to figure out what happened here. Why is there no body? And why are these strips of linen lying on the ground? Does the state of the tomb match that of a grave robbery as Mary uh, announced to them? Well, the strips of linen lying here on the ground are the first sign that not everything matches up. What grave robber wanting to steal a body would take off the strips of linen and leave them here in the grave? In the first place, It was a terrible crime to steal a body out of a tomb. A person caught doing that would suffer a heavy punishment. And so no grave robber would waste time at the crime scene unraveling a dead body. Instead, they would just take the body and run. Not only that, but there would be no reason to take off these linen strips if they were taking the body away. After all, No one would want to handle a dead body without having it ripped in these strips of cloth. I mean, not to roast you out, but would you want to carry a decomposing body if you didn't have to? Of course not. Besides, these linen strips were expensive and no burglar would simply leave them behind. See, the end of chapter 19 makes clear that Joseph and Nicodemus spared no expense uh, to Uh, prepare Jesus' body for burial. So all these things show us that something was up, but it was not a grave robbery. And things become even more clear when Simon Peter comes to the tomb. When he arrives, he doesn't just peek into the tomb as John does, but he, he just barges right in. And what did he find when he entered? Well, Peter also saw the strips of linen lying there, And the text literally says that he observed them as if inspecting. He wondered, something is up. We too are invited to inspect them with him and to bring out our inner detective and see what happened. Peter not only saw the strips of linen, but he saw the face cloth that had covered Christ's face. It was not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. And this detail, too, shows us that something more than a grave robbery was occurring. What robber would take the time to neatly fold up the face cloth and place it neatly uh, aside by itself? 
Imagine one day two thieves broke into your house to steal your belongings. They work as fast as they can because they don't want to get caught. Uh, One thief quickly rummages through your dresser to find maybe some money or jewelry uh, hidden in there among the clothes. But as he's finishing up, his partner barges into the room saying, "Uh, Quick, we need to get going before someone comes back here and catches us. Well, imagine his shock if the other thief replies, Hold on, hold on, we can't go yet. I need to refold all this laundry first. Now, of course... No robber would ever do such a thing. They would go as fast as possible, leaving things in a disorganized mess. And the same holds true for Christ's tomb. The evidence here shows that no one stole the body. The truth is, only one thing happened. It was a resurrection. That's why our text says in verse 8, When the other disciple also went into the tomb, he saw and he believed. That was the conclusion that John made as he saw this evidence here in front of him. What happened in this tomb? Well, on that very Sunday, about 2,000 years ago, Christ really and truly arose from the dead. At one moment... Christ lay in that tomb, lifeless, held tightly in death's grip. And the next moment, he rose immortal, never to taste death again. Death lost its grip on Christ forever. And our Lord Jesus broke through the bonds that held him in death. And Christ shed his grave clothes and left them behind as a testimony to his resurrection. You see, it was important for these strips of linen to be lying here and for this face cloth to be folded up separately by itself. They tell us that it was Christ's real physical body that rose from the dead. When Christ appeared to his disciples later, it was not like they were seeing some kind of ghost. No, the real physical body of Jesus which had been crucified, which Joseph took down from the cross and and wound in these linen strips, that body came to life again. In that same body, a heart started pumping blood. The lungs in that same body started pulling in air once more. It was that same body that sat up and walked out of the tomb, but now a resurrected body, an immortal body, and a glorious body. It was important for the disciples to see the tomb this way. Showed them that Christ had broken free from death. See, that tomb and those strips of linen cloth lying there, they represented finality, the finality of death. But those things could not hold Christ in, its, in, its, in their grip. Christ broke through it all. And Peter proclaimed on Pentecost Sunday, it was impossible for death to keep its hold on Jesus. And when Peter spoke those words in Acts 2, in all likelihood, 
He was thinking of this, back to this moment, when he saw the strips of linen lying on the ground that had once encompassed Christ's body and the face cloth folded up by itself. It all testified that Jesus could not be bound by death. That brings us to our second point. Now, our text says that when the disciple whom Jesus loved also went inside, he saw and he believed. You know, our text only gives us a few simple details to evoke a response of faith in Christ. Just a few strips of linen cloth, just a burial face cloth folded up by itself. And you know what? The Lord often does that. God often uses little means to strengthen our faith. He uses a little sprinkle of water on someone's head to strengthen our faith. He uses a little piece of bread and a a little cup of wine. God often uses simple means to make us trust in him and in his son, Jesus Christ. And it's no different here. And these few simple details left in Christ's empty tomb are meant to evoke in us the same response of faith like they did for the disciple whom Jesus loved. See, John himself tells us later on in in John 20, verse 31, that the events written in his gospel were written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, And that by believing, you may have life in his name. He says, this is why I've written what I have. So these things, also in our text, are written here so that you would believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that you would put your hope of eternal salvation in this Savior, in this person. And that's because there's no other Savior but Him. No other person or thing in this world can break the power of death like our Lord Jesus Christ did nearly 2,000 years ago. And no other person who ever lived is worthy of trust for eternal life besides our Lord Jesus Christ. And do you know what happens when we believe in Christ As our Savior, we become blessed beyond all imagination. Christ Himself says in John 20, verse 29 Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. The disciple whom Jesus loved here in our text, he believed, but only after he saw the things in the tomb. And those words in our text are like John's own recognition that he should have believed before he saw these things. He should have understood the scriptures and knew that Christ must rise from the dead. But he saw first and then believed. But Christ and God the Holy Spirit says to all of us here sitting this afternoon, blessed are you if you have not seen and yet have believed. And how will that be? 
How will you be blessed if you believe in the resurrected Savior? Well, Christ himself answers this question throughout the Gospel of John. One example is found in John 11, a passage where the Lord Jesus uh, raised Lazarus from the dead. He says in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And so our Lord Jesus Christ is saying in that passage that if you believe in him, then if you were to die before he returns, death is only a temporary state. In fact, when believers die in the Lord, they are not truly dead. They go on living because they have eternal life in Jesus Christ. It's true that death is still an enemy, and it is painful. As Christians, we still grieve when fellow Christians die. In fact, Christ himself did that in John 11, when he was at, uh, near the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He wept. And even though we have this hope, death can still feel so final. But remember the words of our Lord Jesus. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And so for us who believe in Christ, death and burial are not the final word. When Christ returns, the burial plots of believers will be opened. Kind of like the stone was rolled away from the opening of Christ's tomb. Every believer will rise from the dead as Christ was raised here, and for, they will be forever free from death. And that's the sure hope we have through Jesus Christ our Lord, our resurrected Lord. And this is the message of all the scriptures. It's not only our text this morning that points us to the reality of a risen Savior. Listen to the last words of our text. The disciples still did not understand from scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead, that he must rise from the dead. And so that that verse there is saying that all the scripture was pointing ahead to this reality. All of Scripture written over hundreds of years by many different authors has been building towards a resurrected Savior who would give eternal life to his people. You know, the world might scoff at the idea of Jesus' resurrection, but we know it by the Word of God, which is God's sure testimony. It is faithful and it is true. And dependable. Sadly, though, the disciples did not understand this when they read the scriptures. And the scriptures for the disciples, of course, meant the Old Testament scriptures. It was these scriptures that teach that it's necessary for Christ to rise. 
And our Lord Jesus himself taught us the very same thing in John chapter 5. In verses 39 and 40, Christ said to the Pharisees, You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. So Christ is saying in those words, all of Scripture, all the Old Testament Scriptures, they're focused on one person, our Lord Jesus Christ. And not only is it pointing us to Christ, but it's telling us these things so that we might find eternal life in Him. And we must find it in Him alone. You see, Scripture points us to the necessity of the resurrection from the very opening chapters of Genesis. God told Adam that if he ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he would surely die. Sadly, that's what Adam did, and we in him. And by his sin, Adam brought death into this world, physical death. God himself told Adam after the fall into sin, dust you are, and to dust you shall return. But of course, that's not all that God said. God also promised to send a Savior who would not fail like Adam did, one who would crush the head of the serpent. Now, after Christ's crucifixion, after his physical death, he was placed in this tomb, and his body did start to decompose. His body started to return to the dust like Adam's body did after he died. And so from all viewpoints, after Christ's death, he was appearing to go the way the first Adam did, returning to the dust. It looked like Christ had failed, just like the first Adam did, for he had died. Here was Christ's body in the tomb. But in order to be our Savior, it was necessary for him to rise from the dead. He could not stay in the ground. He could not turn back to dust like Adam, or he would have failed like Adam. The wonderful thing is that Christ did not fail. And so he did not return to the dust. He did not sin as Adam did. And so he could not stay in the grave. He won the battle. He overcame death for you. He's the Savior God promised to send. He's the Savior to everyone who puts their faith in him. Everyone who puts their faith in him. You know, already the first pages of Scripture tell us about the necessity of Christ's resurrection. And at first, the disciples did not understand this. But when the disciples saw that Christ rose from the dead, they started reading their Bibles again with fresh eyes. When they read Scripture in light of Christ's resurrection, suddenly things started clicking. Take, for example, Psalm 16. In that psalm, David confesses to God, You will not abandon me to the grave, nor will will you let your Holy One see decay. 
We sang those words earlier from Psalm 16. You see, before Jesus' resurrection, someone like Peter probably scratched his head when he read that and said, what is David talking about? How can this be true? David died. His body has been decaying for centuries already. But after Christ's resurrection, things start to make sense. And the apostle Peter declared on Pentecost in Acts 2, these words in Psalm 16 are not actually talking about David. After all, David died a long time ago and his body was turning to dust. But instead, David was prophesying about the Christ and his resurrection that his body did not see corruption. Before this, the disciples had missed the point. And that can happen to anyone. They can listen to it preached, but not understand the central message and the central person. See, Scripture is not, first and foremost, a book of moral instruction, although it includes that. Scripture is not a self-help book. It's not a book of spiritual life lessons. Scripture is first and foremost a book about Jesus Christ our Lord. And it's a book about the eternal life that is found in, in Him and in His resurrection. And so when you read the Bible... Remember to read it from that perspective, with eyes looking for your Lord Jesus Christ. Look in it for signs that call for the necessity of a resurrected Lord. Read it to see the eternal life that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And when you see it pointing to your Savior, then also put your faith in Him for your eternal salvation. We can know as surely as Christ broke the bonds of death that hold him tightly, we can know that death will never have a death grip on us. One day those bonds will be released if we die before the Lord returns. And we will one day rise from the dead, and we will have eternal life through Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let us respond to the preaching of God's word by singing together hymn 33.